The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. Bruce DeTorres on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. This is World Stage, exposing the tyrannies and exploring our power with deep dives into history, current events, dangerous trends, and the nature of reality. Before I introduce my guest, quick announcement. Last December, Julian Assange's two-day public hearing was announced February 20th and 21st at the UK High Court to determine whether Julian will have permission to appeal or whether he will be extradited to the United States. TNT will be at the Royal Courts of Justice, broadcasting and covering the entire two days if required. Then TNT will broadcast from various locations throughout London. Also, the London premiere of The Trust Fall, Julian Assange, will be at Rio Cinemas on Sunday, February 18th at 1 p.m. The film will be followed by a panel discussion and Q&A with Tariq Ali, Kristen Rafson, and hopefully Stella Assange. To find out more, Google and search for The Trust Fall, Julian Assange, the London premiere. And on January 31st, Jeremy Kuzmarov published Disaster Capitalists Ready to Descend on Ukraine at covert, covertactionmagazine.com, January 31st. Subtitle, Ukrainian Reconstruction Bank, set up by BlackRock and J.P. Morgan Chase, has secured at least $500 million in capital. I'm going to talk about this just for a minute. A key purpose underlying the Ukraine war, writes Jeremy Kuzmarov, was made clear at the annual meeting of the World Economic Forum in Davos in January, when Philip Hildebrand, vice president of BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager, announced the start of a much-touted Ukrainian reconstruction bank in five to six months. It's being put together by BlackRock and J.P. Morgan Chase for the Ukrainian government. Many of its initiatives will be overseen by Penny Pritzker, a banking heiress from a family with CIA and mafia connections and a history of white-collar crime, who was appointed by the Biden administration as a special envoy for Ukrainian reconstruction. This article at covertactionmagazine.com teaches how money was made by those who helped create the war in Ukraine to destroy Ukraine to make money by being the players who participate in its reconstruction. Jeremy Kuzmarov consistently reports very important information and insights into what's going on in the world and what happened in history. And you can find his work at covertactionmagazine.com. With me this hour is Neil Pine, author of The Conscious Planet, A Vision of Sustainability, Peace, and Prosperity, a powerful polemic against all things wrong with our modern Western culture, the cruelty and non-sustainable practices of the livestock industry, the truth about pandemics and vaccine horrors, GMOs and the bee killing and cancer causing herbicides from Monsanto, the hazards of pollution and the dangers of nuclear power, rainforest destruction, drought, famine, endangered species, and more. Neil is also a securities analyst specializing in green alternative energy technologies. 
He received an Echo Hero Award from the University of California for his speech on sustainability. He is a former registered investment advisor, a journalist for various magazines, a nationally published artist, and currently a digital creator. And he can be followed at theconsciousplanet.org. Thank you very much for joining me today. Neil, how are you? Fantastic. Uh, I'm very excited about the show here. Um, you gave me a wonderful introduction. Thank you very much. Well, my pleasure. So uh, I'll start with a I'll start mm-hmm. with a full disclosure that your book is published by Trine Day at trineday.com, and I do the marketing for them. And I haven't read it yet, but I am certainly excited to learn all about it and get to Thank know you, you better. Um, I wanted to ask mm-hmm. you, Neil, what were you doing before you started working on the Conscious Planet, and what made you write it? Well. Uh, okay, let's start with my history. Um, you know, I, I grew up in, in a Jewish family. Um, they were very involved with charity. Uh, my grandmother was the only survivor from her family from the Holocaust. Um, she worked uh, for charitable organizations like the City of Hope. Uh, my mother was also very active in the City of Hope organization. Um, she, my mother was listed in the Who's Who of California for, for all the charitable work she's done. Um, I have an artistic background. Um, uh, you know, I attended the uh, Art Center, Art College of Design, and Los Angeles Trade Tech, and uh, Los Angeles uh, City College. Uh, so what it is is that um, I, I kind of felt like uncomfortable when I was growing up when I would see my mother uh, cutting up a chicken and then I, would, I would went with my cousin and I would, he would go hunting and I would see him cutting up fish or animals that he killed and I, felt, I thought to myself, I could never do this. <laughs> You know what I mean? I I realized, I go, God, how am I, you know, I felt guilty when I was growing up. I felt, wow, um, you know, how how will I, I don't see myself being able to do these kind of things. I I can't just cut up an animal. I I see my cousin gutting a fish. Do you know who you remind me of, Neil? Do you know who Who, you remind me of, Neil? Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, go ahead. Oh really? Abraham Lincoln. He uh well, he grew up in the woods. Kids. He grew up in the woods of uh, Kentucky and as a boy mm-hmm. or young, you know, adolescent maybe, but very very young, he he mm-hmm. shot his first and only turkey. Now, this was a hunting oh. culture. You you had to kill what you ate. And right. it upset him so much. He never pulled the trigger on another living thing the the rest of his life so you're you're not alone in the uh, uh that, that kind of response but go ahead and continue uh you know what led you to well, what you were doing before you wrote your book and what led you to writing your book right well that's a wonderful story i i'm i'm glad you told me this that's very it's a wonderful story yeah because i i published an article called the greatest minds in history were all vegetarian 
but I didn't know about Lincoln. I don't know if he was a vegetarian, but, um, you know. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know either. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I know but, he ate apples. Um, I know he liked apples. Yeah, no, but it, the thing is, is uh, what's his name was uh, Benjamin Franklin was a vegetarian. And uh, Tesla was a vegetarian, and Einstein was a vegetarian, and Plato was a vegetarian. I wrote an article about that. Um, and sorry, I know I was, that, and I know from uh, my, I know from my preparation for our conversation that mm -hmm. veganism and ecology and holism and psychology and politics and religion are some of the major uh -huh. themes or ideas um, brought forth, if not espoused in your book. So it sounds definitely like, you know, the time to talk about perhaps veganism or at least vegetarianism. How does that, um, how important is that in the, the, if you could sum up the major teaching or theme of your book, I know it's got a lot mm -hmm. of different components to it. Yeah, and I love, you know, it. the title, The it. Conscious Planet, A Vision of Sustainability, Peace and Prosperity. Um, Maybe unpack for me how veganism or vegetarianism is a, is a big pillar of that. Well, see, now that's the whole thing. is it's Veganism is so powerful, but vegetarianism is actually not what it should be or not what it was a long time ago. So I tell people who are vegetarian that they should be vegan because people, okay. a lot of people who are vegetarian are vegetarian for um, compassionate reasons. Uh, then just and then let's the focus point, on the veganism and just talk to me. I just teach me what veganism is according right. to its role in this sustainability and the benefits of uh, imagining this conscious planet. Right. Well, first of all, to sum it up, you wanted me to sum it up. The eco, my book's the ecological, physiological, and compassionate psychological justification for sustainability, which entails a vegan macrobiotic diet. Um, so that's, that's pretty much what sums up the whole thing about veganism. But now, do you want me to, can I, can I get back to what inspired me to write the book to, to get back to that subject? Absolutely. Okay. Okay. So now, so what inspired me, one of the things that inspired is my father and my sister both passed away from the same form of cancer. And so... You know, I felt helpless, and, and, and I even felt guilty because there's nothing I could do to help them. And, you know, at, at a, for a time being, I, I was dysfunctional and uh, was suffering from some depression. And, you know, to, in order to deal with, with my emotions, I swore to myself that um, I would do something to help change the world and do something good for people. So I started writing my first edition. This is my second edition. I published my first edition in 2013. I self-published it. Um, and uh, I published over 70 magazine articles in Jet Setting Magazine, Vision Magazine. Um, and uh, so, you know, this is why, this is what inspired me is, you know, having this trauma and uh, also that, you know, I believe that, you know, I knew that 
I realized that the veganism was so powerful because the mainstream media is hiding the, the truth about veganism. They're suppressing it. They're uh, obfuscating it um, so that the people are not really aware. Uh, animal agriculture is the number one cause of pollution, uh, global warming, rainforest destruction, famine, drought, um, and endangered species. So these are some of the, the powerful things that, uh, that veganism has that you just don't hear about it in the mainstream media. Another inspiration to write my book was from my grandfather. Uh, isn't it? His name was Jack Pine, but he published a book in 1938 uh, called The Rule of the Lash. And his book was similar and in sympathy with John Steinbeck's, you know, the most, one of the most famous books ever published, um, the, the Grapes of Wrath, right? And so mm -hmm. my grandfather's book was similar to John Steinbeck's book in the way that uh, The Grapes of Wrath was about how uh, the migrant workers were being exploited and the oppression. Uh, and my grandfather's book was about the, it was about a pre-Stalin in Russia about the pre-Stalin regime of, of how peasants were, were oppressed. Um, also a novel and, like Grapes uh, of Wrath? Yes, it was a novel, but Grapes of Wrath was 1941. My uh, grandfather's book was 1938. But, it, you know, it, it was similar in the way that it just talks about the oppression of a certain group of people. Uh, Neil, I want to I reintroduce you, but uh, before we go to some information here, I want to say to everybody watching and listening... If you are enjoying TNT and think we're doing a good job, please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab, or Getter? In other words, help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time. And now here is important information from today's news talk, TNT. TNT's Pella Neuroth-Taylor. We, we need to look, do a lot of deconstruction of these phrases and, and really think about what it means, because what does far-right mean? I, I'd say that far-right means anything that you don't like, and um, it's just a label, a bit like the, the Chinese under Mao, their state press used to call uh, anyone who was an ideological opponent, capitalist pig dogs, whatever. And it was just meant to evoke a response, and it was a signal from the rulers to the rule that this is what you should think without actually having to think. It's, it's, it's a, meant to evoke a sort of Pavlovian reaction that you're a, these are bad guys. And uh, a moderate, in, in, in our lingo, I mean, let's say it's foreign coverage, the BBC will say the moderate blah, blah, blah party in the third world, meaning, well, they're the guys we approve of, and then the extremist is someone we don't approve of. Helen Neuroth-Taylor on today's News Talk TNT.
The Irish government is proposing a law known as the Hate Speech Bill that threatens free speech. This law could have dire consequences for our democracy. Next week, next month, next month, and then on to the next week. This law will have uncertain effects on artistic and musical expression. Please support us. It could stifle the activity of public campaigning on political and civil issues and also curtail speech relating to topics about religion, ethnicity, sex and gender. You could even be jailed for possessing documents, cartoons or memes on your devices, even if you never read them or intended on sharing them. Mere possession could make you a criminal under this law. Help stop this law. Visit www.freespeechireland.ie forward slash take action to bin the hate speech bill. Ladies and gentlemen, today's news talk. News and information. TNT Radio. This is World Stage, and with me is Neil Pine, the author of The Conscious Planet, A Vision of Sustainability, Peace, and Prosperity, a powerful polemic against all things wrong with our modern Western culture. Neil, remind me, please, the, the title of your grandfather's book. What was that? The Rule of the Lash. Okay. Is it available on um, the Amazon and the others? Uh, you know... It, I saw it's available on eBay, or it's, it's like it's a rare book, but it's really it, I, it wasn't really that expensive when they were selling it. But uh, it, I have a few copies. It's somebody people have copies. I've seen it for sale. I'm not sure. If it, I don't think it's for sale on Amazon. But and your grandfather's Google name it, was Jack. Find, Jack. Jack. Pine. Well, he went under the pen name Paul Rokov with an F. Paul How do you spell Rokoff. that last name? How do you spell that last name? R-O-C-O-F. R-O-C-O-F. All right. You were in the middle of starting to tell me about it. It takes place, well, it came out in 1938, and it's kind of like yeah. uh, uh, anomalous to the Grapes of Wrath, but set in place, well, it came out in 1938, and it's kind of like yeah. uh, uh, anomalous to the Grapes of Wrath, but set in... Uh, the Soviet Union before the uh, the Stalin's uh, horrors descended right. on the uh, around the, the turn of the culture, century, the but it was still very bad. Oh, yeah, it was yeah. Still, okay, All still right. very bad with a lot of oligarchs, very very uh, yeah. corrupt. Okay, well, that's um, nice as a okay, legacy so, but, for a man like you who has now gone on to write a powerful polemic against all things wrong with our modern Western culture. Um, do you want to? Continue unpacking what's in your book because, by golly, I should yes. want to know. I've got so much. I got. I got very, very, very important information that people have to hear, and I've. I've got to get to it. So I got to actually skip over some of my notes here because I can see the time is going pretty quick. Um, okay, what's, so let me. Get I'm all ears. Quick. What? Are, why don't you? Why don't you focus on the most important things in your book? Maybe. Well, that's okay. Let me get to all this stuff. Okay, so. All right, you know, I'm a strict vegan. I, I cover animal rights. I talk about racial equality involving slavery, Native Americans, women's rights. But don't lump me into the woke mob, okay? In other words, I believe in responsible law and order, not defunding the police. The crime rate is skyrocketing. Dangerous criminals are victimizing citizens 
uh, at an alarming rate. Violence and murder is skyrocketing. Some of these dangerous people are not even being prosecuted. Uh, the crime rate uh, with uh, uh, robbery and uh, uh, shoplifting is is uh, sky you know skyrocketing. Um, so basically, we have a lot uh, of problems. You know, right. So so I you know so I don't you know I'm not an anarchist as such that people like kind of label me, Oh, you must be like, you know, no, I'm, you know, I'm vegan, but I'm, you know, but I believe in green capitalism, you know, responsible green capitalism. And you make the case for that in your book. Oh yes. I have an entire chapter called veganomics. Well, okay. um, That's interesting. It's called that because I, I, if you don't uh mind, Let's spend a few minutes, and then you, we'll go back to your notes, but I think it would be valuable to teach me a few things about veganomics if, and teach me about the solutions that are in your book so, I, so that everybody watching and listening knows, uh-huh. I got to get this book. Yes, sir. Well, the thing is, is that with veganomics, uh, there's many... Uh, sections in the chapter. However, the most important thing of veganomics is my economic stimulus plan. And basically, okay. when you, you, know, you know what doing back testing is? Like when you say, okay, if I did this a long time ago, what would have happened? And you look, in the, and you look in the, through history and you can see what would have happened. Well, in my book, I have a, and I, and I was formerly a federally registered investment advisor, so I have a plan. It's an economic stimulus plan. And what it is, what I call it, is green capitalism on, in other words, green capitalism on steroids for the good of socialism. So in other words, my plan is a win-win situation. Not only does it help the poor people and middle class people, but it also dramatically helps the wealthy people at the same time. That's how can you know, how can you go wrong with that? And so here, and let me break it down to you very easily and quickly because I have a lot of stuff to cover here. Um, basically, my idea is to mandate that uh, the top one percent of the wealthiest people would have to divest 20% of their wealth into uh, green energy or alternative energy uh, solutions like electric vehicles or uh, solar or even there's a hydrogen fusion now that's, uh, you know, so invest in whatever they want that has to do with those technologies. Then that that twenty percent of their wealth would be automatically divested in those uh, fields. Uh, then what they're go- what we could do is have the Federal Reserve or the major banking institutions give them a thirty-year loan against the equity in those in that 20% position in those alternative energy fields so they're invested in these alternative energy fields 
So then they're going to borrow against the equity in those investments. And what are they going to do with the money that they borrowed against? They're going to give that to the American public. They're going to give that money away, but they're not going to give the money. They're going to give uh, tax credits towards uh, green homes, towards alternative energy solutions, towards uh, electric vehicles or hydrogen vehicles, whatever. Uh, in other words, it's like priming the pump. And, mm -hmm. But then, they're, okay, so they're giving away all this money, but the point is, is the Federal Reserve would give them 30 years to pay this money back and they could operate their businesses tax-free because they gave all that money away. So they can operate tax-free, so that would help them. And if you look on a graph of the NASDAQ index, the tech-heavy NASDAQ index over the last 10 years, it's gained like about 1,000% or maybe over the last 15 years or so. But what I'm saying is, the, if you do the back test now, the point I'm making is, is I wrote Veganomics originally, started writing it back in 2007, 2008. So if they initiated my plan, then it would be enormously successful. In other words, the, the wealthy people who took 20% of their assets to invest in these alternative energy uh, would, would have made huge profits, like 1,000%. Uh, you know, some tech stocks went up 15,000%, uh, like Tesla in that time. Um, so, question for you. Uh, question, okay, Neil. So that, the, uh, the, yeah. the green economic uh, stimulus package uh, yeah. sounds either synonymous with veganomics or veganomics sounds like a subset of the bigger macro green economic stimulus package, right? Because the right, veganomics right. would address the things about animal uh, food production, mostly, right? Well, yes. It, in, in, the, in, in, the, in the chapter of veganomics, there's like five different sections. One of the sections is... And wait, 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 the, wait, wait, uh, wait. This is where... Neil, this is where I'm going yeah. with my question. Veganomics sounds okay. like a part of a bigger green economic stimulus program or package. Is that more or less true? Yes. Oh, Absolutely. Okay. Okay, and so, so wait, my wait. I'm leading up to this question, Neil. the oh. the green The green economic stimulus package sounds, or is it? Let me don't. I don't assume anything. Is it justified by the concept of man-made global warming? Uh, yes, that that's yeah, that's part of it. But uh, can I, let me explain one factor. I I refer to the fact that uh, did you know in the United States that 63% of meat and dairy products are subsidized by the government? Our taxpayers' money is paying for that, for these subsidies, yet only less than 1% of vegetables and fruits are subsidized. So th that's part of my plan is to help subsidize the, you know, uh, vegan options because the government is so corrupt. They're, they're, they're I, subsidizing 
unhealthy things like meat, dairy, and and canola oil, and all these kind of things. Neil, could Fruit I? Could I? I just I wanted I want to just drill down where uh, on the question I wanted to ask, which is okay. in your book, do you have resources or evidence that prove? that man-made global warming is the emergency that so many say it is because there are yeah. many, many smart people who think that it is an agenda being pushed by uh, powers and interests that is not really based in reality. So your book can give people the things to study to quote-unquote prove that global warming and climate change are being driven by uh, human activity, right? Yes, I, I can explain in detail the, the dynamics of how global warming is created by animal agriculture, if you want me to do that. And uh, that was part I, of I would I would enjoy I would enjoy a minute or two of that if you want to condense it because I know you got a lot more you can okay. talk about. Yeah, I've got so much to say. We're not even going to be able to get to it. Uh, yeah, but, so, but you're okay, having basically. a good time. Neil, Neil, you're having a good time, right? Because I know I'm <laughs> yeah, glad you were prepared. I'm glad you I'm glad you brought a I, menu of stuff to talk about, but it is a conversation. Well, I so had, I wish we had two hours. <laughs> okay. Well, so, talk uh, to my employer. Maybe they'll expand. <laughs> no, go ahead. There you go. Oh, but, to, there you go. But, but to buckle into the dynamics of uh, climate change, man-made global warming, I'm all ears in a nice right. minute did, or two. Yeah. Okay, let me go. Let me go do this. Okay, so basically we're, we're destroying 200,000 acres of rainforest every single day. This is a statistic, okay? Most of that is coming from the Amazon. Okay, most of that destruction is coming out of the Amazon. Um, and so when you cut down rainforests, you are destroying the, the uh, canopy, the rainforest canopy that shades the, the, the earth. Um, so therefore, when they cut down the rainforest, they're killing trillions of animals, you know, every year, wild animals. And then what happens is, is the sun beats down, it kills all the tropical plants, because you know tropical plants need shade, so it's just wiping out everything, and then they're using that land, 91% of all rainforest destruction is definitely linked to livestock production, either growing crops, feed crops, or raising livestock. Now, people tell me, oh, oh, it's the lumber, they're doing it for lumber. Nope, lumber is 3 percent three i mean you can google everything i'm saying lumber is only three percent of the problem okay so when the sun beats down on the earth it creates what's called desertification it just turns it into a desert the rainforest what is rainforest rain forest why does it say that because when you have such a heavy canopy of growth of of trees this the trees contain moisture 
the moisture creates precipitation. The precipitation goes in the air and creates clouds. It's a cycle. When you cut down all those trees, you stop the process of precipitation. So therefore, the sun beats down. It just turns the land into a desert. It's called desertification. That's one way the planet's heated up. Another way, people say, oh, uh, cars and, and people create more CO2 than livestock. Nope. In other words, people, if you take all the people in the world, they only weigh uh, on an average about roughly 900 billion pounds. If you weighed every person on this planet, they weigh 900 billion pounds. Um, so livestock, including fish, weigh 4 trillion pounds. Okay? So, uh, you know, fishing boats, you know, huge fishing trawlers and fishing boats they use, you know, they create so much CO2, and they're just running all over the ocean, creating a dust bowl of uh, for fishing, where where they're you know wiping out all the fish in the ocean, um, and uh, so this is this is part of that CO2. And then you know you you know tractors have to seed the fields, tractors have to harvest the fields. We grow ten times more crops for livestock than what people eat. There's 100 billion uh, animals besides fish. If you want to count fish and livestock, you could say almost 4 trillion. Um, it's, it's incredible the amount of animals that are, that are wasted. Uh, for example... Uh, well, well, Neil, I, you know, I this but I want to... No, no, this is great. You know, um, you've satisfied my curiosity that your book will okay, teach that, people that, and give that. that about global warming, and it'll give people things to study uh, that tend to uh, prove that it is a, a legitimate, you know, phenomenon. Because there are many people right. on the fence. And I am one of them. And in fact, if I had to bet, yes. since I've found so much that has been highly touted as official reality that turned into being complete nonsense and a lie, if I had to bet, because I right. have studied it as much as I can as a layperson to raise right. it as a point also, of uh, debate, because I don't just right. I just don't go along when someone says global warming and man-made climate change and things like that at all. And on the other side of some information, well, we can continue it for a second. But right now, I want to reintroduce you, Neil Pine, author of The Conscious Planet, the 2024 version. Did it come out this January, right? It just came out, the new version? Yes, the book, just, it just came out. You guys got perfect right. timing. So let me get to the Not to be, wait, wait, Neil, 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 Neil. Yes, sir. I've got to, I've got to hereby invite people to watch and listen to this important information from today's news talk, TNT. Deweaponizing weather with reality and perspective. The phony climate war is really a war on the United States of America. Let's take the war in Ukraine. This is insanity. The United States is funding the Ukraine. The entire operation, they, we fund their civil servant. But Russia can attack Ukraine because it's growing more prosperous and how's it growing more prosperous? The same way Iran is funding their proxies. 
you know what they do? They're selling more oil. And the reason they're selling more oil is because our nation, for some reason, has decided to shut down the energy dominance that we had three or four years ago. My point is, this war would not have occurred if the energy policies that we had through 2020 were left, just as the immigration problem would not be what it is now. I can say that. Well, look at the facts. Look at what was going on several years ago. So what I'm going to be trying to get across to people is the different aspects of this phony climate war have become allied with the idea that this is the way you take down the United States. At least a fundamental transformation. And where did we hear that first? This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog Meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather, even though it's been weaponized. It's the only weather you've got. Sometimes life can be overwhelming and suicide may seem like the only way to relieve the pain. Beyond Now is an evidence-based app created by Beyond Blue to help you cope when suicidal thoughts start to appear. You can use it to create an easy-to-follow plan that is personal to you and includes steps like know your warning signs so you can act early, make your environment safe by removing harmful items, activities you can do or people you can be with to distract yourself from suicidal thoughts, reminders of things that make you feel strong, some of these steps might be tough to fill out, and that's okay. It can be helpful to make or share your safety plan with a trusted friend, family member, or mental health professional. You might feel like you're alone, but help is available. If you're worried you can't stay safe, use the red telephone icon to call your emergency contacts. Download the free Beyond Now app today to create your personal safety plan. The conversation continues with Bruce DeTorres on today's News Talk TNT Radio. With me is Neil Pine, author of The Conscious Planet. You can follow him and learn all about his book at theconsciousplanet.org. Neil, I invite you to, uh, you know, some closing continuing thoughts about our climate change conversation or give you the uh, platform to take me into the next very compelling and important information in your book, which would you like to uh, go into? Let me get, let me get to, yes, let me get to this. There's so much information that I'm not going to get to cover here. Okay, so the, I want to talk about the chapter two in my book is the psychology of the cattle culture. This chapter literally took me 16 months to write just one chapter. There's uh, 130 bibliography notes in this. Uh, this is a lot of research. Anyway, so let me get to this. Um, I start out by saying about, you know, how, you know, we're just like brainwashed. Uh, people are just brainwashed to think that, you know, animal products are, are just the, you know, the way of life, you know. In other words, I say the, the ubiquitous saturation of animal products through media advertisement is a major part of the socioeconomic structure of a modern Western civilization. And I say, while the public remains in a somnambulistic state of consumerism, like they're in a trance, they're just, you know, uh, I say the insidious forces of the modern industrial livestock complex perpetrate their very psyche by media hype through traditional ethos, which create the accepted concepts of a utilitarian society. People are just like brainwashed to believe that 
you know, that's the way of life is eating animal products, which uh, it mm-hmm. really should not be. And, and it's very destructive. So we can um, get all the nutrition. We can get all the protein, all the nutrition we want and never eat another bite of another animal. That's what you're saying. That is correct, because my book is endorsed okay. by Claudia DeSantis. She's a certified nutritional specialist, and she has okay. a master's degree in the science of nutrition. So, okay, so I go on to say that uh, today's white-collar executives of the giant, you know, conglomerate meat producers, right, All they, they never experienced the, the morbid and heartless and bloody nature of their business. All they see is dollar signs, right? Uh, these corporations they rape and pillage the earth and have like uh, minimum wage zombies doing their dirty work for them I know that the giant agribusinesses wreak havoc on their uh, on, the, on the ground and on the water systems and on the environment where they are um, displacing oh, absolutely privately owned uh, farms. It's something that Bobby Kennedy Jr. is bringing to great attention. That's right. It's things that it is That's things right. that I have encountered in my, in my reading and research about current events and, and, and things like that. I, I know That's that important. there is a, there is a school of thought that you, um, we don't need to eat uh, meat products whatsoever. Does your book explain and teach exactly why we, we don't need that and, and why yes. that's been a load of goods we've been sold? Okay. All right. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I, my book covers everything having to do with veganism. What's the, what's, uh, what's the, alter, what are, what's the alternative? What are the solutions? What are the practices or eating habits? What are the foods we should be eating that would not only be good for us, but would ameliorate the destructive results of the gigantic amount of animals that we eat. Oh, well, I, okay. Well, I just say what I eat. I, I eat um, sesame seeds, raw, I eat like mostly all raw seeds. I eat raw sesame are the, are seeds. Are these the solutions? Seeds. In, are these the solutions in your book? Uh, well, yes. I mean, yes. I I talk about a vegan macrobiotic diet is the is okay. quintessential method towards okay. uh, maximum nutrition. Um, well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, Neil. We we're I well. Let me ask you a question. Um, uh-huh. I think that we. I feel like we have discussed the meat and the eating and the veganism enough, and in our remaining amount of time. I wanted to ask you about other elements inside your book, and I will ask your thoughts. Well, if you don't mind, what I wanted to ask you about was what your book has to say about the truth about pandemics and vaccine horrors. But you want to you want to talk about psychology? (laughs) Is that what you said? Well, Well, you're my guest. You you first, but save enough time for the vaccines and the the pandemic horrors, please. Got it. You got it because I have the best advice for the for the vaccines for the for the uh, for the COVID. But okay, so let me just get to this, and you can stop me when you want me to. Okay, um, okay. During you know during the the Middle Ages and pre-industrial eras, right? Uh, butchers were regarded with repugnance and disdain because of their cruel disposition. 
Uh, they were barred from jury duty. In, in fact, in the, in the Oxford English Dictionary, published in 1657, butchers were depicted as greasy, bloody, slaughtering, merciless, heartless, pitiless, crude, gr rude, grim, and harsh, and surly. Um, I go, in the modern world, all the horror, the fear, the shame, the guilt, and the repulsion of animal slaughter are hidden behind a facade of impersonalization and marketing glitz. Heartless you, corporate imperatives. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. I thought you were gonna I thought you were gonna talk about psychology of, of a grander or a bigger, you know, uh, grip or, or harm well, to, to the world and to the Western culture. Um, if you wouldn't well, mind pivoting to the to the what you okay. have documented about the horrors of uh, pandemics and the vaccines okay okay so let's get to that okay so now you know you, you like rf kennedy I, I i totally believe in him um and he went after fauci and i've studied all of his research about fauci fauci uh was uh Fauci was kicked out of the United States for his gain-of-function research by Obama, actually. And uh, so he moved his operations to China, to Wuhan. Uh, the virus was created in the laboratory. And uh, so... And you cover this in your book? Absolutely. There's chapter okay. uh, 14 in my book is called Shots of Ignorance. Mm. But, but, but you, know, I, you know what I say, though? You know what I tell people? I say, you know, I, I, I tell people, because uh, I, I was going to say this. I mentioned this to you on the phone. I shouldn't have said what I already just said. So everybody forget what I just said and listen to what I'm about to say. <laughs> no, what I'm going to say is uh, my... Uh, you know, recommendation for COVID is I take four flu shots every day. Now there's the pause. So everybody's ears are glued now all over the world listening. What the hell is this guy talking about? Right? I take four one ounce shots of wheatgrass juice and that boosts your immune system to its maximum potential. But also, okay, you know, do you know about antibiotics, right? like how they work as much as a layperson knows okay well there, there's the word prophylaxis prophylaxis which is you take Prevention? a dosage of antibiotics you take a dosage of antibiotics right so the doctor says now i don't believe in even taking antibiotics but in an emergency i might but there's other herbal things that I would use instead of antibiotics that work just like it. But if that didn't work, I might consider antibiotics, but I, I'll do everything I can to avoid taking antibiotics. I take no prescription. I take no over-the-counter drugs. I take no prescription drugs. Is, this, no is, this all, is, that, is this all in your book, Neil? Yes. Oh, okay. Because okay. I, I have a trouble distinct, so, distinct when you say you do this and you do that, I just, I'm not certain that you're telling me the teaching in your book. That's all. Sorry. Oh, I am. I'm giving you everything in my book. Yeah. So, okay. so in other words, the, the antibiotics. Okay. So you know how antibiotics work. The doctor says, Hey, take 14 pills in 14 days. 
right? And let's say you take seven pills in seven days, and the next seven days you say, oh, I feel better after seven days. So you don't take the other seven pills over the next, the last seven days, right? What can happen? You know what can happen is the infection that you were taking the antibiotics for can come back and kill you, right? In other words, you, or, or if you go back to the doctor and say, well, you're going to have to take twice the amount of antibiotics now, and you're going to have to take stronger ones because, you, because the infection came back. You didn't take the full dosage. You didn't kill. The antibiotics are supposed to kill the infection, but the antibiotics also kill good bacteria as well as bad bacteria. So if you don't kill all the bad bacteria, it can come back and kill you. So you have to take all your dosage of antibiotics. You understand how that works, right? So the point I'm making is, okay, so, so you understand that if you take small dosages of antibiotics every day of your life, you understand how that will destroy your immune system. Do you get that? You understand yes. that. So if, if, someone were, if someone were foolish enough to take antibiotics every single day, you know, day in and day out in, in a small dosage, a micro dosage, then that would compromise, dramatically compromise their immune system. Do you know anyone who's foolish enough to do that? So what, if you stated it in a no, positive just, just way, the advice... Just answer, just answer the question. Do you know anyone who's foolish enough to take small dosages of antibiotics every day of their life? I don't think I've ever heard of anyone doing that, Neil. You don't know anyone who eats meat, milk, eggs, cheese, butter, ice cream, or any products from animals because 80% of all antibiotics manufactured in the world are fed to livestock. People who eat animal products every day are getting small that, dosages of antibiotics and the, it's destroying their immune system. And that's how you boost your immune system plus with a vegan macrobiotic diet plus raw juicing. This is the most powerful way, the quintessential method to boost your immune system and you don't need to take any lousy, dangerous vaccines. Uh, I am aware aware of us ingesting everything that they feed into the animals that we eat. I want to tell you something, Neil. We've got about about four minutes left. Oh, boy. I invite you to, I invite you to, I invite you to use these minutes to summarize what you're most excited about that's in your book and bringing it to the world, the conscious planet. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, I want Maybe wanted, you I recap so some things. of the things we've already discussed or what, what would well, you add to, to our conversation? I want to I add that I was going to explain to people how using historians using documented research. I've studied this like 30 years and I'm telling you in my book, this is what I talk about. I have evidence that Jesus Christ. Now I, I identify with Zen Buddhism, but I'm telling you, I've studied the life of Jesus Christ and he was a vegan, not just a vegetarian. There's overwhelming evidence that he was actually vegan. And, and a lot of people a lot of people say, well, you know, they don't believe that or whatever. But, you know, the, the whole thing is, is that, you know what the word anthropocentric means? Yes. Is that you think that, you, you think that your religion is superior 
to all other faiths, that, that yours is the only way. And only meat-eating religions are anthropocentric. All the vegetarian religions, like Buddhism and Hinduism, are tolerant and recognize enlightenment in all faiths. And so if you recognize that all faiths have enlightenment, like Buddha was enlightened being, um, Yogananda, um, you know, you, you know, you could just name so many different people. And so, Neil, Ev, what do quick all, Yes. Wait, I'm sorry, finish your I, question. Yes, okay. So what do all enlightened beings have in common is that they all ate no flesh. And you can you can study that and that is a fact. So why would Christ Where where eat do you flesh? Where where's the evidence that Jesus was vegan? Is it in the Bible? Um, that's the whole point is yes it, there yes it is in the Bible and it's in my book the the passages of the Bible that tell about but what I explain about the Bible is the Bible's been completely corrupted. The Bible was written by 70 meat-eating scribes and was translated five times through several meat-eating kingdoms. It was first corrupted by King Constantine in the 3rd century and he rewrote the Bible and he falsified the information and he also changed the names of the Jewish um disciples in the Bible and, and he there was, the Bible's been corrupted. That's what I'm saying. And the, so Neil, the, I wanna so I wanna I, I, I wanna th No, I just I wanna yeah. thank you for uh being with me. We've got less than a minute left. I just wanna reintroduce you, oh, Neil wow. Pine, author of The Conscious <laughs> Planet, A Vision of Sustainability, sure. Peace and Prosperity. And folks can learn all about it at your site, theconsciousplanet.org. Congratulations on getting a book out. That is a very, very big deal in and of itself. And I, want, and I do appreciate your, your passion for helping people and for solving problems that are uh, afflicting us. I don't agree with some of your diagnosis. I don't agree with some of the other things. But as your host, it was my pleasure to get to know you as a friend. And also, um, this is Today's News Talk.